You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er fam. Welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode features Irving Zeus Ippolite. Irving is a certified personal trainer and founder of Quantum Leap Fitness. After stepping away from his career as a professional arena football player, Irving set his sights on becoming an elite personal trainer. He took a job with a well-known chain of gyms with the goal of becoming the number one trainer in the entire company. He excelled in his role and was promoted to a new position, but it wouldn't be a 26er story if life didn't throw a curveball. As circumstances would have it, Irving found himself exploring an entrepreneurial path instead. So he took his list of email contacts and went to work reaching out to prospective clients. And Quantum Leap Fitness evolved from being a blog to a full-service fitness brand, offering weekly newsletters, instructional videos, nutritional advice, personal one-on-one training, and the wildly popular Inner You Bootcamp. Irving is not your average trainer. He's remained dedicated to creating a space for Black millennials that not only makes working out fun, but also addresses certain cultural issues and fosters a sense of empowerment. He's also worked with brands like Nike and New Balance and gives back to the community by keeping his classes affordable and engaging in various philanthropic initiatives through his QLF Gives Back campaign. So without further ado, please take a listen and enjoy. Irving, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Welcome to the December 26th podcast. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. So like you walked in and I just instantly felt like... I should be in the gym today and and, uh, and not here because you know you came all cut up and yoked and yeah. in shape. So I'm I'm feeling real deficient right now, but <laughs> or inspired. You know? That inspired is good. Cool. Inspired is good for sure. Right. We're happy to have you. Yes, ma'am. So let's get into it. Sure. Who is Irving Ippolite? Um, how much time you got? No. <laughs> uh, I'd say a complicated soul. Mm-hmm. Um, hard worker but also to a fault, a sensitive guy, also to a fault, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think I'm a conundrum of so many different things, but overall, I think um, Irv is a guy who you genuinely feel like you can count on because he's going to give 100% in whatever we're doing or whatever mm-hmm. life is um, to the best of his ability. And, uh, and he's, Relatively compassionate, a lot of empathy for for people. Yeah. So I don't know if someone has described themselves as complicated on this show yet. So no, I want to start there. It's a complicated show. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you deem yourself a complicated guy? Um, I think I'm complicated because because I think uh, some uh, like I, I work off a lot of different emotions. Like mm-hmm. I can say, I'm like I can be moody. I can be super aggressive. Like really passionate. And it's kind of hard to get a read on me. Sometimes it's hard to get a read on myself. Mm-hmm. Like, which way do I feel today, right? Because, you know, a large part of my life is my career. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from, like, you know, my kids and stuff like that. But a large part of my life is my career. So, interestingly, I, I work in the service industry of sort with what I do. I mm-hmm. provide a service. So when you live to provide and give to others, there's an ability to lose sight of, like, who you are mm-hmm. during the middle of that. Does that make sense? It does. That does. So talk to me. Uh, we always talk about origins on this show, but your sure. last name definitely stands out to me. Yeah. What are the origins of Ippolite? Parents both Haitian. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my dad's Ippolite. Mm-hmm. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, pretty simple, I guess. 
But, um, you know, I don't know too much about mm-hmm. the last name. Um, but, you know, I just know that, you know, I know where they were born and what city and mm-hmm. things of that nature, but I don't know too much. I don't know too many police either. Yeah, that's the first time I've heard that oh, name. Really? Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Right. And where'd you grow up? Um, Canarsie, Brooklyn, for the majority of my life. We started mm-hmm. off in, like, Brownsville. Then we moved to Canarsie. And now I currently live in Queens. Mm-hmm. Right. I did a stint in PA and... Queens has been home for a little while now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you work as a trainer, correct? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, trainer, fitness coach, life coach, therapist. All those um, things. Relationship <laughs> guru, right? Mm-hmm. Like all, all those things, right? You know, because the business is about health and fitness, but there's a large part of mental wellness and, and you know, uh, a connection to people being a better person. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, kind of become an advocate for all of those things. Mm-hmm. And how did you get into this work? Hmm. Um, how did I become a trainer? Um, I spent the majority of my life wanting to play football. Mm-hmm. And through football, I met really good dudes. And I met this guy named Kyle. And he became my trainer when I was young. I, I think I might have been like 19 or something like that. He became my trainer. And um, we were getting ready to go into you know, tryout season for arena football teams and things of that nature. And from him training me, I started to fall in love with the craft because it was like, wait, how does he know that my body should do this? Mm-hmm. Like, the kid is really, really smart. So I was like, how does he know? Like, what? And I, so then I was like, hey, uh, you mind teaching me? I was like, I think I like this. And he took me under his wing and I, he schooled me for a couple of years and voila, right? Mm-hmm. So then, you know, I, I picked up the craft from there. And um, even through the, right before I started playing like arena ball, when I got signed to a couple of different teams, I was training kids locally and I was going in and out of Planet Fitness gyms back when when they would kick you out. Now mm-hmm. they don't do it anymore. But they would like kick me out of a Planet Fitness gym, then I'd go find another Planet Fitness gym and they'd kick me out of that one, then I'd go find another one. And, um, and I was just hustling through that mm-hmm. until I got the call to play arena ball. And then I moved. Uh, to Harrisburg, PA. Mm-hmm. When I came back, I furthered the personal training career from there. So you mentioned that you're of Haitian descent. Yeah. But you decided that college wasn't for you, right? Yeah. yeah. How was that received times. by your parents? A couple of times. I dropped out twice. Really? Yeah. So did you go straight from high school, like the first time straight through yeah. to college? Yeah, mm-hmm. straight through. I graduated Canarsie High School, then I went straight to college. And then when I... Got my first arena tour. No, my second arena tour. I decided to drop out of school. I was mm-hmm. like, this school's not for me. I'm going to sign a deal. I'm going to go play ball. And then I told my mom, I was like, hey, you know, I'm not going to school next semester. I don't know when I'm going back. I'm going to go play football. Uh, she took it hard, like, you know, any Haitian parent <laughs> would. Um, they're not very creative in that sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to their fault, but, you know, I get it. So they didn't see what I seen at the time. And um, I left school, I moved, and um, I sprayed my MCL when I was out there, and uh, they released me. Mm-hmm. When they released me, I came back home. Um, from coming back home, I was like, all right, I guess I gotta go back to school again. So I was like, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna go back to school. So I went back to school for the second time. But during that time, it was so much harder. Mm-hmm. Because three months prior to going to school, I was, living in a paid-for condo, Mm -hmm. and all I had to do was wake up in the morning, work out, go to practice after, party after, (laughs) 
VP. Like, like that was my life. And then now you're sitting in school with, you know, a bunch of kids who aren't even sure what they want to do with their life. And mm-hmm. they, you're just frustrated. And you're like, I shouldn't even be here. I was like, you know, I was having so much fun three months prior that I realized that school just wasn't for me. It's just I couldn't, I couldn't cut it. Mm-hmm. And um, and I knew training was for me at the time because, like I said, I was training before I even left. That I one day just decided that. I'm going to quit and I'm going to, which is a whole nother story, but um, I'm going to quit and I'm just going to go build my own business at some point and, mm-hmm. and do this training thing. Well, let's hear the other story. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. That. No, I'm just um, so when I came back home, I went back to, I was going to your college. Mm-hmm. So I went to your college and I, I don't even know what year I was in. I was maybe a junior or something like that. And, um, I had this one class that was just like kicking my ass, and and you know when you're in that that grade like a ju- like a junior where you need this class, you got to pass this class to be able to open up the door to a bunch of other classes. Mm-hmm. I was failing that class miserably, and so I went to the professor and I was like, "Hey, uh, what do I have to do to pass? Like, how, you know, what do I got to make up? What can I extra credit work?" And my I didn't even buy a textbook, and he was like, "Well, to be honest, the grades are so bad that." that you just have to take it again next semester. Mm. I was like, oh, okay. And I was, and then so I, you know, gave him a handshake. Cool guy. I walked out the building and then I said, I'm never coming back here again. Like, so it's over. I'm not doing this anymore. Now at the time I was, I just got a job at Valley Total Fitness. I don't know if you know about Queens, right? But mm-hmm. your college is on Liberty and Valley's is on Jamaica Avenue, which is literally uh, pretty much a block over. I just got the job. So I was like a new kid at that gym. And um, so as I was walking to the gym to go, you know, start my day, because I was like, I'm just going to go to work right now. I was like, what am I going to do? Because I'm not going back to school. So I I made a decision and I said, all right, I'm going to do really good at this Bally gym. I'm going to become the best trainer in this gym because we had like a ranking board. Mm -hmm. I'm going to then become the best trainer in the nation because we had an overall ranking board. And this is when Bally's had like, a gym in the gym right. everywhere, right? So there was like over 500 trainers across the nation. And I told myself, I'll be the best trainer in this gym. Let me beat out the 25 trainers here. And let me then become the best trainer in the nation and beat out the 500 plus trainers there and force them to promote me to a fitness director because mm-hmm. that's stability. And then do my time as a fitness director, quit as a fitness director and create my own mm-hmm. gym. That was literally like, what I told myself as I walked from New York to Bali, mm-hmm. literally. And I was like, all right, this sounds like a plan. And um, lo and behold, I became the best trainer at my gym. And um, then I became the best trainer in the nation. And the way they ranked that is they by how much money you pretty much bring okay. in every month. So every month there would be a new ranking mm-hmm. because a different trainer could clean up the month. But I was writing... And, you know, to be honest, like ungodly numbers. Mm-hmm. I, I was writing like $20,000 a month in personal training. Wow. And they, that if you were really good, you were writing nine. Wow. Nine to 11. If you could hit 10, it was like, oh, this, you're the man. I was writing over 20000 a month every month. Wow. For almost like a year plus. And um, then it was like, yo, this kid's insane. So then I became the best trainer at my gym, best trainer across the nation. And then he promoted me. Because at this point, I'm making as much as my fitness director mm-hmm. with the bonuses. And of yada, course. Yada. So now you got a cat and somehow. So I'm salary. Yeah. Right, give him a salary. 
So then I ran Valley and Tilden, Brooklyn. Um, so I went from working at the one in Queens to being the fitness director at the one in Tilden, Brooklyn. And um, that went really well. I was running a top three, top four programs out of New York until it didn't go well. Mm-hmm. You know, so business goes that they fired me like two days before Christmas, mm-hmm. which they fired me like on my birthday. My birthday's on the 23rd. Oh, um, right. So they fired me. And when they fired me, um, you know, I was sick. I was sick. I, and I was like, damn, what am I going to do? You know, I wasn't ready to go independent. Mm-hmm. I, I was, you know, I had stability. I was making 75000 a year. Plus, that was my salary, like seventy five a year plus, you know, incentives and of stuff course. like that. So I wasn't ready. And, um, and I didn't have money either. You know, I was young still. I was just blowing cash. I didn't have money. So um, they realized that they fired me for something that made no sense. It's, you know, it's a long story, but... They tried to call me back and give me another gym. So they was like, hey, you know, we made a bad decision. Mm-hmm. Or they made a bad decision. We want to offer you Sheep's Head Valley. And, um, and I was willing to take it. That was like 80000 And I was like, okay, I think I won. I'm back. But my best friend at the time was like, yo, you talked about going independent. Just go independent. And I was like, all right. Mm-hmm. And then I decided I declined the offer. And then I went independent. And, um, and then I just went back to trapping. I just went back to hustling until I found some stability. And now I'm in a really good position, I think, mm-hmm. um, in regards to clients, clientele, um, my boot camps, and uh, the things I've been able to do. So I guess all in all, everything that I, I said, walking from you know school over to the gym, happened its way. So. And when you say you went back to trapping. Yeah. We talking about trapping for real or trapping uh, as in like hustling not, clients? I mean, you know, I don't hustle anybody, mm-hmm. but, but I'm hustling. I mean, hustling right, for right, clients. Right, right. Mm-hmm. That, right. Waking up at four in the morning, driving to different gyms and things of that nature and sleeping in my car so I, I wouldn't be late. Mm-hmm. Like just back to that. Um, and then um, I did that for a little while. And a really good friend of mine, he was opening up a small gym. Um, at the, like he basically started converting the back end of his house mm-hmm. into a gym. So it was like a three-room gym. It's it amazing. And he called me and was like, yo, do you want in on this? And I was like, sure. So then I found a home where I could train clients. Uh, okay. Right. So at that point, I'm training 40 hours a week, mm-hmm. uh, 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week. And it's all take-home money, technically, right? right. It's not tax. It's just me building what I'm building. Um, and then I moved over to training. Now I train in Soho. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going really well as well, right? So how did you start to get those clients in after you left after an left. established um, gym? Yeah. Well, I, I always had a pretty decent rapport mm-hmm. on social media. And I also think, you know, cream rises to the top. So, like, if you're good, you're good, mm-hmm. right? So I believe I'm good at what I do. And um, what would happen is, well, what happened literally is when they fired me, um, I had this added advisor, really cool girl by the name of Addie. And we sat down in a bar. And I had to text everybody on my phone. I think I had like six, seven hundred contacts. Mm-hmm. She made me text every single person this afternoon. Hey, how you doing? Um, you know, I got some cool things coming up. Love to share it with you. Can I have your email? They all sent me their email. At least most of them. Mm-hmm. And I, we took all the emails, put them all in the MailChimp, and wrote this great breakdown. And, you know, it has pictures of client results. And, yeah, it's because, you know, people know me. Right. Right. So, they're like, we know he's good. So then 
if this kid goes, hey, I'm independent now. I no longer work for anybody. I work on my own. If you or anybody you know needs a personal trainer, email me. Once that happened, it just blew up. Wow. It went crazy. Because you got to think about it. Like, all right, he worked at a gym. So I got to sign up to the gym. I got to do this, that, and third. And the gym is charging, let's say, um, at this time, $70 a session. If I say, hey, I'm charging $50 a session. Right. Obviously, and when you work for a gym, you're not making $70 a session. You're mm-hmm. making like 18 21 So I'm charging 50 So I'm already making 150% more than I would if I was at a gym. Right. You're saving twenty dollars on or so, right? So you win. I super win, mm-hmm. right? At this point, you're like, oh, Earth's trusted, he's good, and the price is in a closer range of affordable. Right. right? I'm going. So at that point, my first month, I'm an independent. I think I made like thirteen thousand dollars in my first month. Wow. Yeah, for my first independent month, it was a January month. I made like thirteen thousand dollars just because I was bringing in so much business at that point. And how'd you work it out just from a tactical perspective with your friend? Because mm-hmm. it was his his property yeah, that he's yeah. giving you access to. Yeah. So was he like, when he said, do you want in on this? Was that a code for how do I get a piece of your business as well? No, I paid rent. Okay. I don't know. We, we established, I mean, you know, nobody does anything for mm-hmm. Nobody. So he, we established the rent fee. And I paid a rent amount to being there. Okay. And then once I paid the rent amount, he didn't care what I did. I mm-hmm. had my own key, just go to town. Mm-hmm. So that worked out well for as long as it did. Yeah. I had to move on and so forth. So you were working with clients through um, an email list. Yeah. But with that many people kind of catching on to it and saying, all right, I, I want this. This is a great deal. I'm sure you forged other relationships as well that led to uh, lucrative opportunities. Yeah. Did that happen? How did you broaden your network? Yeah. yeah. Um, sometimes you get lucky. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of what it is. Um, you know, you, you, I've always been outside. When we say I've always you've been outside, just always been around parties or like kids doing things. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So I've always had like entrepreneurial friends. I've always had friends that rapped. I always had friends that were in the music business mm-hmm. or wanted to break into the music business because we were young. So they were throwing on little talent shows and things like that. Like I've always had those type of friends. Mm-hmm. So when you have those type of friends and you have a pool of them, um, you start working with them or they understand your hustle, you understand their hustle, you guys become really, really cool. Mm-hmm. That some of them end up becoming CEO of some record label. Right? Yeah. Some, some of them end up going on and doing amazing things, right? Working at Spotify. Working at, like, it just happens that way for all grinding. But through that, they always remember your name because he was a stand-up guy. Mm-hmm. So people always want to get in shape. People should always want to get in shape. That it becomes an easy, hey, my man Irv is a trainer if you're mm-hmm. looking for one. So then your referrals just grow. So as your friends grow in their endeavors and your clients grow as in their, their endeavors and the success in the gym is happening with Irv, they naturally refer you. Right. So what happened was, I think, we, I don't want to call it like my big break, but I think um, what changed the tide a lot, when there's on Twitter and, and this girl who she kept tweeting me like, hey, I'm your training, I want you to train me. I'm paying her like no money. I'm like, oh, man. And I was like, where do you, where do you live? She's like, Harlem, but you would have to come out here. I was like, I don't want to go to Harlem. Mm-hmm. And then one day I was just like, I got the time. Let's do it. I meet her and then she becomes really cool, really cool client of mine for years. We were really successful. We lose a gang load of weight, all these good things. She ends up being like Serena Williams stylist. Wow. And, right. So she styled Serena Williams at the time. She's styling Chris Bosh and the Miami Heat. Like she becomes this, this, She's huge in regards to like fashion and athletes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that. She's a big deal to this day. 
But obviously, by her being successful, her friends take notice. Of course. Her friends are friends of influence. And I meet another young lady who then is successful with me, and she opens me up to the music industry a lot. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my clients today work in the music industry. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean, I train anybody, but that's just where a lot of my clients are, are mm -hmm. in entertainment and music right now. So, um, yeah, I guess when you play with skill, good luck ahead. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. And that, that, I'm glad you brought that up because that was going to be my, my point. Um, you obviously have the talent, though, yeah. to achieve results that people can't get sure. anywhere. Sure. So when you're prepared for those opportunities that come, um, it can change the tide in a way that if you were ill-prepared, yeah, you meet these people, but if you don't have the goods to deliver, right. you know, you're not going to get very far. thousand percent. So you're known as or have been known as the hip hop trainer. Is, is yeah, right? um, yeah. Homegirl dubbed me that and it just stuck. Mm -hmm. It just stuck because I just got it. And it's twofold. One is I have an outrageous love of music, mm -hmm. like hip hop. And me, I, I, when I was young, we used to make battle rap albums and tapes with mm -hmm. kids. And, and I wanted to be an A&R um, for a very long time as well. So I just kind of stuck into the hip hop field. And, and from there, I just started working with a lot of people in hip hop, mm -hmm. right? So then it just kind of like dumped itself out at that point. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it's cool, but I'll train anybody. R&B's favorite trainer too, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever. But um, hip hop is just super prevalent. And I run a boot camp, which is um, the hip hop aspect of the boot camp is huge mm -hmm. as well. So it kind of just stuck from there. So from a monetization perspective, um, we're big on this show of getting into the nuts and bolts of things. You would you would think that this is like low overhead, right? Like you train, you have your expenses, of course, as an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. Um, but have you had to put dollars into marketing or anything? Or has this now, after all this time, has it all just grown by virtue of social media and or word of mouth? Um, I put no dollars into marketing. Wow. Right. I probably should. I'm told I should mm -hmm. every day. Um, one day I will, maybe. <laughs> but um, no, no dollars in the marketing, just word of mouth. Being a trainer is a very word of mouth business, mm -hmm. meaning you don't get referred unless you're good. Right, that's true. Right, like this isn't this isn't one of those things like, hey, my homeboy mm -hmm. was in the studio, you should go over there. No, this is like, oh, you're successful. What have you been doing to be successful? Mm -hmm. Hey, I work with this guy out in Soho. You should go meet him. You right. Say, like, nobody's even asking you if you... Nobody's even telling you that you look great mm -hmm. unless you're changing, right? Right. Like, so that means success has to happen for me to get a phone call from you. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, so I can put money in the marketing dollars and I can play the Instagram game that a lot of traders play, or I can just say, hey, be really good at your job. Mm -hmm. And it'll make sense. What would you say the the racial makeup is of your classes that you do, your boot camp? Uh, maybe 98% black. Mm -hmm. um, I want to say it's on purpose. Um, I knew I was creating a space for black fitness, mm -hmm. but, you know, it's inviting anybody. If you know, you're not black, you, you can come too. But I've been told things like, oh, your class is too black or looks too black or... or or I've had people who weren't black ass. I'm allowed to come here, right? <laughs> I've had that before. I'm like, sure, your daughter's green. Come, 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 party with us. You know what I'm saying? But um, but I knew I was creating a space for for black culture, mm -hmm. um, because a lot of what we do with this class is 
based on altruism and giving back and and donating money. We just donated a couple hundred dollars to um, NYC, I mean, Power Play NYC, mm-hmm. uh, which is a foundation that that uh, empowers young girls through sports. So we just donated money there. We donated to Girls Who Code and things like that. Like I'm aware of what we do mm-hmm. um, affects people of color. So I created it that way. Um, but the makeup is about 98%, 99 mm-hmm. Well, what I find interesting about that is there's two things I want to focus on. First, sure. people telling you your class is too Black. And what I find interesting about that is in spaces where we dominate yeah. and that we make up the majority, people tend to make comments like that when we often throughout our lives at various points may have had to exist in spaces where we, we are the only. And it's frowned upon when we say this space is too white, right? Yeah. That's seen seen as an aggressive statement or being divisive. But I've, I've been in situations and I remember being in law school and going out for my birthday one time and right. a few of my white classmates came, but we were at a predominantly black lounge. And you could see how visibly uncomfortable they were. were. And one of them actually said to me, he said, I I was really uncomfortable at first. And then I thought about how this is how you must feel every time you're out with us at some bar, you know, on on U Street. You know, it's interesting because he said that and I thought, do I really feel uncomfortable? And I realized I've been conditioned to exist in those environments because My entire life, you know, I've been. I don't think black people yeah. have that same thing as much. Yeah, and it's not it's not everybody. Right. But when you've been put in environments where you are the only or of one or two, you learn how to exist in that space yeah. and and function and disarm people in a sense to your presence, and and it it helps to navigate. But that is, I'm an exception, right? right. I'm an exception to the the rule and. Um, and that's why I respect what you do so much in that you're promoting the safe space for us and not changing it. Because I'm sure you've gotten the advice. Like yeah, if you want to be bigger or you want to, you know, charge more, you want to do X, Y, and Z, you I, need to I, look less urban. I've you had know? brands tell me that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had big brands tell me that. Um, I remember telling friends that I was going to the city to train and they would be like, you need some white clients. Mm-hmm. I was actually told that maybe like a month and a half ago, like, you need a couple white clients. Mm-hmm. No, no, I don't. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm good because there's still a stigma on black people investing money into their health and fitness. Absolutely. So to to the naked eye, you'll be successful if you have white people mm-hmm. investing money into your health and fitness. But I'm not playing for the white gaze. Mm-hmm. So I'll take my stripes where I get up, right? Like right now I train in this gym in Soho and um, I'll leave the name out, right? They're mm-hmm. cool people, like mm-hmm. the owners are cool. So it's nothing against them. But that gym is predominantly white. Right. I'm I'm be honest, I'm probably on any given day, it might be one to two black trainers. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I'm one of them on any given day. My clients are all black. Mm-hmm. Literally. And it it's funny because somebody the other week just was like, yo, the minute I see somebody black warming up on a, a, a like on a treadmill or a machine, I know that's your client. <laughs> I was like, you're right. Mm-hmm. And we looked over the person warming up was my client. Like, the only Black person in the gym is probably Irv's client, right? And it was awkward in the beginning, but not so much for me. Like, you know, I put those things to the side, but it was awkward for some of my clients in the beginning because mm-hmm. um, what started happening in the beginning was uh, people, like, one a funny story. One of my clients was, like, how she was in a locker room and somebody was, like, asking her, what does she do? Mm. And... You ever seen the movie uh, American Gangster? Yes. Right. You remember the part where Frank Lucas was at the fight with the mm-hmm. with the, the mink? Yes. At the chinchilla on? 
And uh, and the cops were like, who's that guy? And that's how he got caught because that's how they even <laughs> realized how to pin him because it was like, who's that guy sitting so close right. to the ring, this black guy there, right? That's what being in that gym is slash was like. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, who's this black kid in the middle of Soho, which is not a cheap gym. Right? Not at all. And I mean, we're all independent trainers, but the gym charges us, right, respectively. But for them to charge us and for us to still be able to run our back office and our operations and have take home, we obviously have to advance what we charge. Mm-hmm. We have to play the city charge here, right? Right. So now you're looking at it like, who's this black kid who's able to bring in all these people? Because clearly he's not charging $20 a session. Right. Right. How are they all affording this? You know what I'm saying? Like, that mm-hmm. was the energy that we would get, like... And, and I probably train the most people out of that gym, to be honest. Yeah. So, yeah. And so now they're looking at, like, who is this guy? And then people started wanting to, like, ask me questions or how long mm-hmm. you train or oh, how you like it here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't really talk too much. So I, so I don't really talk to any of them like that. But it's not because I dislike them. but still about my business. But I could see, I could see getting, you getting questions yeah. on both sides of the aisle. And them wondering how you got here and yeah. how people are, are are coming as well and what they do for a living, et cetera. But also from black people as well, seeing this as a luxury, right? Yeah. And 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 saying, oh, oh well, he, I see his classes are predominantly black, but these must be only professional right. black folks or people who right. can afford this, who work in the industry right. Right. or something like that. And what do you say to that? Nah, um, you know, the great part about my class, we're on Fifth Avenue. Mm-hmm. We're actually like five minutes away from here. Um, the class is twenty dollars for the class. Mm-hmm. You put a boot camp in the middle of the city on Fifth Avenue at twenty dollars, where every gym around it in a five mile radius is a boutique gym charging forty, forty five, right. fifty dollars. We've built in such a strong community here that I don't need to overcharge. Mm-hmm. Anybody can afford this. We do deals every day. Bring a friend, you're, yeah. you're free. Like, I'm, I'm I'm okay with that, right? Um, this, we have a mom and pop shop in the middle of New York City. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's the beauty of it all. And um, I don't, nobody's ever really said, like, man, these this class must be expensive because mm-hmm. of. But I think um, we built such a strong culture there that you don't worry about what you're investing because you're investing into you, mm-hmm. right? How much are you worth? Right. Right. So, but then when you find out, you you know, the investment is something that's affordable mm-hmm. to be in the middle of the city. It now brings it all together. And they're like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. we can do that. So I've been running this class for a couple of years. The attendance rate has been, is around 90, 92%. This year so far, it's probably like 110%. Wow. Like we we're overpacked this year so far. Um, and it's just going great. And we've done great things. We've worked with Nike. We've worked with New Balance, um, potentials with Adidas coming up. We we have such a great thing going here. And we've donated thousands. We've done uh, clothing drives, mm-hmm. book bag drives. We wrote checks to schools to donate for kids to get uniforms. Mm-hmm. Like we've done so much through this class that, that at this point, the people that come, they understand that, like, you know, we have, we've built a family. It's, right. it's a culture here. So tell me how this opportunity to collaborate with brands came about. Um, I think the first brand that I was able to collab with, the first big brand, yes, but brands, period. Maybe the first brand, period. The first brand was Nike. Um, they, a kid from Nike, 
he took notice of what I did and he wanted to, the first collab was they wanted to introduce Nike Metcons mm -hmm. sneakers um, and they wanted to know if I would partner with them to introduce it. So as they came in, we gave everybody a pair of Nike Metcons and they all got to work out on them and, and, and it became this really cool moment, man. It was mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, Black History Month, and uh, it was probably one of my best classes. It was amazing that day. And then from there, we were supposed to do more stuff together, me and Nike. Didn't exactly pan out mm -hmm. the way that it should have, and it's okay, that somebody from New Balance took uh, witness of what I was doing. And they were like, wow, this kid has a really great thing over there, that they came in and offered me a, a class deal. So what I was doing is I was doing New Balance class. I was doing interview bootcamp classes at the New Balance store mm -hmm. um, for a winter series and a summer series. So they would pay me, the class would be free for the public and they'll fit me with a bunch of clothes and yada, yada, yada. And you guys get a bunch of discounts on stuff. And um, then I leveraged it where I made them donate or help me donate to causes. Cause I feel like, you know, it's big brands mm -hmm. and, and just a love-hate relationship with big brands when you're when you're a small brand entrepreneur. Right. That if I'm gonna work with you, you have to be able to give back here. I can't just work with you. Like the funny story with the New Balance thing is, I started I had started a clothing line, like an athletic line um, called DCSR at the time. It's still running now. Mm -hmm. And when New Balance approached me to work with them, they was like, "Hey, we're gonna put you. We're gonna do a photo shoot, and we're gonna put you a New Balance gear. Don't worry about it. We got sneakers for you and shorts for you." And a t-shirt and yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, great. Um, but I'm not gonna sign unless I wear my shirt. And it was like, what? I was like, <laughs> yeah, gotta wear my shirt. And it was like, we'll get back to you. I was like, all right. And Honda got back to me in a couple of days and it was like, okay, you can wear your shirt, but can you wear a new balance hat? And I was like, <laughs> sure. I don't make hats, so yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I got you. So we did this whole photo shoot. I think it's still on that page now. It was so dope. We did a whole like three-page spread shoot um, in the middle of Flatiron mm -hmm. where we did a bunch of stuff. And it was crazy because like I'm wearing a DCSR shirt on a New Balance verified page and and they're promoting these classes and I'm wearing my shirt. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, and I was like, this is, this is what empowerment looks like. Like, this is what collaboration looks like. Right, exactly. Right? This is what collaboration looks like. It's not selling yourself to a brand to work with them. It's getting them to understand who you are and making something like that happen. So then when I went into the boot camp in Atlanta, I somehow leveraged it where they were selling my shirt in their store. Wow. How? I don't even, to this day, I don't know how I did that, but they started selling DCSR shirts in the store as they were partnering with me to do a boot camp out there. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is, this is important, man. Like, like this is what culture needs. Right. And maybe we don't understand the magnitude of this today, but this is a big deal. And the reality of it is a lot of people would not have felt comfortable even making no. the demand, right? Because they feel like this is a, a juggernaut, like a big brand, bring me an opportunity yeah. and I need to just say yes to whatever if I want to be, quote, put on. Yeah. You know, yeah. so that, that takes a level of courage to even put it out there. Yeah. And be willing to walk away if they won't, they won't meet it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm fortunate. Mm -hmm. um, I think because entrepreneur, and this is nothing against anybody, but I think where we live in this generation with entrepreneurs a lot now mm -hmm. is it's kind of done because it's cool a little more than done out of out of desperation, mm -hmm. right? So I'm 33. So I feel like, you know, I come from an era where 
where we started creating opportunities because we didn't feel like we could get them. Right. We didn't feel like we could work a good job. But now, and it's nobody's fault. We have kids and others who are not creating up, who are creating entrepreneurial routes just because it's like, if it's, it's like there's almost like an undertone narrative. Like if you're not working for yourself, you're not mm-hmm. doing enough, right? Right. And it's like, that's not true. Right. You can, live, you, can, you can be happy and have an advice. Like it's okay. Mm-hmm. So now we live in a generation where people are forcing entrepreneurial things just to do them because mm-hmm. it's cool, right? But when you come from a space where you understand what desperation looked like um, to create this and you understand that if you didn't create it, you don't know where you would be right mm-hmm. now because school was not an option for me. Football just finished me. So what was I going to do? Right. Right? Um, when you come from that, it puts you in a better position where you can walk away from from deals that you don't deem worth it mm-hmm. because you understand that you, ma- you made this out of the mud. So it's a little different. Mm-hmm. Do you think the tide is changing amongst um, the Black community around the importance of health and wellness? Because, you know, I, I feel like what you're doing is important work. And you see these really hip classes that pop up online that go viral where it's, you know, really hip hop focused and the yeah. music is great and it has more swag than a normal class. Um, but I still think there is a, a large segment of the black population who does not put an emphasis um, or a sense of urgency around getting into shape. Yeah. So what do you think we need to do to really overcome that where this is not like a subculture mm. for, you know, we, we bond over food and all that other stuff. But when do we get to the point where this is people have an awareness and see the necessity um, in in getting getting healthy and staying healthy. Like what needs to be done for that? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good question. I think the short answer, the quick answer, is there needs to be more failure. Mm-hmm. Like there needs to be more struggle, right? And with that, and what I mean with that is you go on Instagram, right? Which is predominant health and fitness space, right? That's big on Instagram, right? And all you see is a bunch of guys and, and young ladies right, who do everything well, mm-hmm. right? They look great. They do everything well. Backflips, right? And it's intimidating because mm-hmm. especially black culture, we didn't grow up. A lot of us didn't grow up with health and fitness on that same silver mm-hmm. spoon, right? So we're still finding our wings with it. Like, right. Like what's... Some people still don't know what carbs are, right? What considered carbs are. And that's okay, but but now when you turn on your TV or whatever your social device is, all you see is this is what you should be doing. This is mm-hmm. what you look like. This is what I look like. Ah. Right. And it's overwhelming. So nobody's telling the real story. Nobody's telling like the dog days. Nobody's telling how how this is hard. Mm-hmm. Nobody's telling how this is this is about generational health, right? right? What you do today is going to impact your family and then their family and then their family, right? I have a, I have a, I have a boy and a girl and, and, and my daughter understands what dad does and she comes to class once in a while and she does jumping jacks every night. Mm-hmm. She, I hope she does, right? I, I tell her she's supposed to. Um, like they, she understands things. The important, she, she thinks she understands the importance of water, mm-hmm. right? But I say all that to say there has to be more plight Right, it can't just be like the shiny coin of how 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 great you are now. Right, right, and and not to make this like self serving. After a while, I turned my Instagram to that a little bit. Right, like I, I realized you know everything I'm telling you, mm-hmm. and I started posting videos of failure with clients on my page. I started posting videos of when they want to quit on my page. Posting videos of when they were crying 
on my page, of course, with their consent. But I started posting like the dark days, mm-hmm. right? Because the dark days are what people are going to say, man, this shit is hard. Right. But if she can do it or he can do it, I can do it. Right. Like that's more inspiring, right? Seeing failure can be more inspiring in this field mm-hmm. than seeing success. Because success can just look overwhelming, right? Failure is like, oh, all right, that's what struggle looks like. Mm-hmm. Because the flip side is the same client that I posted, you see a six-month transformation, mm-hmm. right? So it's not just posting up the post, right? I posted a young lady um, maybe in her second week of training with me, and she was crying, and the post got a bunch of hits, and a bunch of people were like, wow, this is crazy. And then you look at it eight months later, we're down 85 pounds. Wow. Right. right. So now you're like, oh, I get it now. Mm-hmm. He's just like that. He showed us this moment and he showed us glory at the end. Mm-hmm. Right. Whatever one thing's glory looks like. So you, you take the dog days and right. find success at the end of the tunnel mm-hmm. of that. And now a person who's growing up in, in you know, underprivileged area or just doesn't have the same knowledge of health and fitness or the same understanding of its, its importance can connect. Because without the tears and without being in that gym, they probably felt just like that. Like, I can't do this. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And now they're like, wait, she felt like that. And she's now here. Mm-hmm. So I can do this because I'm her. Absolutely. And you change the tide that way. So I think the short answer is, there's got to be more plight. There's got to be more story. Mm-hmm. Right? It can't just be, everything can't be Willy Wonka. Those shiny coins, it's right. not possible. But I think that's a great transition um, to talk about a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Um, man, I feel like I gave you that answer. <laughs> the, the the school one, mm-hmm. right? the, that whatever fateful day that was. Right? Um, but another time I had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. That's a really good question. Um, I think the answer is every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I wake up every morning at 5.30 in the morning and I work with eight to 10 people a day. And these are ordinary days, but my job is to infect and and inject, you know, a level of pride and culture in what we're doing. My job is to motivate and and, and deal with you wanting to fail and mm-hmm. quit every day, right? I literally have to be on every right. day. So I think, you know, the cheaper answer here is I think every single day that I work up, I wake up and take somebody through through growing pains mm-hmm. in and out the gym because it's not about the gym. We, we learn so much outside of the gym, me and my clients, and we talk so much about what success looks like and, and how the gym is merely just a catalyst for who you are of who you're going to be as a person, mm-hmm. right? It's literally just a conduit. I think every day that I do that is is a day that I have to be extraordinary mm-hmm. right? because, you know, I have to be on my A game pretty much. That's good. And what do you say to the person who's out of shape, feels unwell, feels unhealthy, wants to do something about it, but feels overwhelmed with where to start? What do I say to that mm-hmm. person? I feel like I should look into the camera and say that. You can. Go for it. <laughs> oh, really? They, yeah. just, they, look into that um, camera right there. This one right here? Yes, this one right here. This one right here. Um, what do I say? It's okay. Um, no, I think um, to that person that feels like that, I think I would say that failure is okay. Um, in health and fitness and in wellness, the idea, you're failing up, meaning 
you're going to go into the gym and you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle daily. And that's actually you winning. So what we're looking for is we're looking for you to have moments of self-doubt, have moments of failure, have moments of, of saying, I can't do this. Because through that, you're going to realize that you're stronger than you ever thought. And through that, you're going to find a new version of you. Like I said, the gym is merely just a conduit to who you are. So now you become a better person in your, your relationships, better person in, in your workspace, with your friends. The gym literally just sets the tone because you say, I'm going to do something that is really, really hard. So if I can get through this, I can get through anything, mm-hmm. right? So um, to that person that's like, damn, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know where to start. Just take the first step. Allow yourself to fail. Um but the biggest part is as you show up the day after, the day after, and the day after, and you realize these failure moments are becoming less and less common. Mm-hmm. And now you're realizing, oh, man, I'm winning through these moments. And uh, and that's really all there is to it. It's all mental. So uh, to you, feel free to fail. Feel free to fail. I like that. So where can people find you online? Um, Instagram and Twitter. Zeus of QLF, it's on both. Uh, Facebook, Zeus uh, Eppoli, or Zeus Eppoli. Um, and my website is quantumlyfitness.com. You can book a personal training assessment and you can sign up for a boot camp. Yeah, I feel like we got it in. We, we so. covered off on, on many so. things. I don't even know if there's any more. You Well, thank you for coming yes, coming on the show. I, I appreciate the information, and um, we're going to be getting into this later. Um, um, DeMarcus and I do sure. a, a duo episode once a month now, about once a month, and we have an intense focus and passion on promoting health and wellness, particularly for our community yeah. um, and shining a light on that and shining a light on some of the things that we don't want to talk about and the results of not being focused on, on wellness in that way. Right. So I'm glad. I feel like you were a great entree into that conversation and a great springboard for that. So I'm happy you were able to come on. To our local uh, New Yorkers, New Jersey residents, if you are looking for fitness help or personal training, I can attest to the fact that not only is Irving in really great shape, um, but he is out here getting results. So feel free to look him up and check out Quantum Leap Fitness. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with somebody. Tell them about the show. You know, we are not a show without you, the audience. So we appreciate every repost, every person that takes the time to really promote us. So thank you for that. And as always, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER. 